what I wanted to do was bring you some hope. I don't know about you guys, but I, I'm sick of the environment that we live in right now. Um, I'm sick of getting stuff shoved down my throat. Uh, be it at work, be it on TV, which I don't watch much of, be it anywhere. You know, I want to be a free man. And freedom is only found in Jesus Christ, amen? amen. And, and when we look at it that way, you know, it's, it's easy to pick your spirits up just a bit, but at the same time, when you're getting punched in the gut all day long and strangled and, you know, stuff shoved down your throat and you're not used to that, that's not part of your spirit. It's hard, hard to deal with. And uh, so I'm not, I'm not real uh, excited about what the world is right now. So I thought, I, I want to bring a, a message of hope. I want to bring a message of, of something that we can grab a hold of and something that we can, um, you know, that, that there's some hope there. And that we all know there's hope, right? We all know how the story ends. But when you're going through the, 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 the drag of things, it's, it's hard day to day. So that's why uh, the Lord gave me First John chapter 5. And as we get into it, I'm going to give you a little intro. It's early church, right? And there's these false spiritual teachers. It's a big problem in the area. And of course, you know, nothing really has changed, has it? You know, you had false teachers then, you have false teachers now. But John did something about the problem. And because there wasn't a complete New Testament at the time that the believers could go to like we can now, um, a lot of the early churches, they kind of fell prey to these guys that were pretending to know things. And, and they taught their own ideas and they made themselves leaders. And it, it kind of sounds like some things going on today, doesn't it? It's like, well, I'm going to be a leader and I'm going to tell you my point of view. And, and wow, what a way to get off base. Following God's word and, and like we do here, teaching verse by verse, chapter by chapter is the way to do it. So John writes this letter to set the record straight on these important issues, particularly concerning the identity of Jesus Christ. And, and isn't that really where the rubber meets the road? Who Jesus is? When I was a young believer, I grew up in a denomination. And we would always, of course, pray to God. But then we would pray to Mary. And then if we had anything left in us, we could pray to Jesus. And that's always how it went until I... I read the Bible, and I'm like, hey, wait a minute. Everything's pointing to Jesus. You know, we need to be praying to Jesus. And, uh, well, anyways, uh, that was 20 years ago. I figured that out, and praise the Lord, you know. Well, the same thing is happening here. And, and John's letter is about the basics of the faith. And isn't that a good thing to start with? Isn't that a good thing to know the basics and what is the truth? And it helps his, re his readers reflect honestly on their faith. And that's something we should do daily, isn't it? Reflect on honestly on our faith. Where are we at? What do we believe? And, and, and how, does, how is that backed up by God's word? So it helped them answer these questions. And um, the questions such as, like, are we true believers? Uh, John told them that they could tell by looking at their actions. And if they loved one another, that was evidence of God's presence in their lives. And if they argued and they fought and they bickered and things like that, then they were selfish. And if they did not look out for one another, they, in fact, did not know God. Remember, Jesus said, love your neighbor, love each other. And if we're not doing that, we need to check ourselves. Um, and, of course, it doesn't mean that you have to be perfect, right? Is there anybody perfect here? No? That's good. I'm in good company. Um, 
John recognizes that believing includes admitting our sins. And, and uh, even more importantly, seeking God's forgiveness. So de- depending on God for the cleansing of, of our sins, along with admitting our wrongs against others and making amends, uh, was another important way of getting to know God. So let's start here in, in chapter 5, verse 1 of John 1. I'm going to be interjecting a lot of my commentary in here, so just stay with me. So whoever believes, and I'm thinking about that, what is belief? Because a lot of people say they believe in God. Um, when I go out ministering to bikers and I have uh, Bikers for Christ patches on my vest and things like that, and people say, yeah, I'm a, I believe in God, I believe in God. And, and then you, you see them doing some things that were exactly in the opposite of what you would think a believer would do. So belief here is not just mere knowledge of the fact, but rather it's a commitment of your life to Jesus as the Christ. So let's go back. Whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God, and everyone who loves him who begot also loves him who is begotten to him. So that means that uh, we are to love other believers, which it ain't always easy, is it? And, and by this, in verse 2, we know that we love the children of God, and when we love God, we keep his commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. I should pick a study I could pronounce the words in, right? <laughs> well, it gets worse later, so just hang in there. A wonderful result of faith, you guys, is, is obedience to God's commandments. I mean, that's a result of our faith, right? And when you're truly saved, you'll have a desire to do the will of God. And our love for God is expressed in willing to be obedient to his commands. And the Lord Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. When John says that his commandments are not burdensome, he does not mean that they're not difficult, amen? They can be difficult. They could also be full of joy, right? And we always love those. But instead... Of being difficult, he means that they are, they're the very things which born-again people love to do. Um, and I'm thinking about if you, if you talk to a mom and you tell a mom, take good care of your children, you're only telling that mom what she already loves to do. So the commandments of the Lord are the things that are best for us. And the things our new nature takes 100% delight in doing. So we love to do those things with our new nature. Verse 4, for whatever is born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. So by faith, you're born of God, and you're able to rise above the perishing things of the world, and, and you can see things in their true and their eternal perspective. So no one really overcomes the world, um, or I should say that the one who really overcomes the world is not the greatest scientist, is not the greatest philosopher or Ph.D., but the simple believer who realizes that the things that we can see around us are temporary and the things that we cannot see are eternal. So a, a glance of the glory of God in, in the face of Jesus, it, it dims all the glory of the world. Amen? Just looking at the, the greatest things of the world and then thinking about who God is, it, it, it's such a, a, a contrast, a You could say day and night, but that doesn't even give it justice. Verse 5, who who is he who overcomes the world? 
but he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. As we have seen, this section is about faith as a test of eternal life. So John has mentioned that he who overcomes is he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. So this tells us that we overcome because of who we are in Christ, not because of what we do. Um, the denomination that I grew up in was what we do, you know? Let's do this, let's do that, let's light a candle, let's say 50,000 prayers. And um, it, that's not it. It's, it's who we are in Christ. And we overcome because we are born of God. We are born of God because we believe that Jesus is the Son of God. And belief is not just a mere intellectual sense of believing that there is a God or that Christ existed, but that we would better very lives on the fact that Jesus is the Son of God who came and he lived and died and rose again according to the scriptures. And he did that for us. He did that for me. He did that for each one of you. And having accepted him as our personal savior and having a personal saving relationship with him, that's real belief. So we have a couple of different types of belief, don't we? The real belief and we have the belief that yeah, he, he, he existed, he was there, but not that relationship. And that's where it really counts. So the word faith or believe, it doesn't just mean to believe, but it means to trust in, to confide in, commit to, to entrust with confidence and rely upon, all those things. So how can we, or how do we overcome the world in Jesus? It's a good question. So um, just kind of paraphrasing John 16, verse 33, and there's a bunch of cross-references, but they're just one-liners, so I'm not going to make it turn all over the place today. Just stay with me. It says, In the world you'll have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. And because Jesus has overcome the world, as we abide in him, we are overcomers in Jesus. Remember how I opened up with, you know, the world is just blah right now. Well, we can overcome that in Jesus. And in, in 1 John chapter 2, verses 13 and 14, John said that those who were growing in their walk with Jesus, you have overcome the wicked one. And as we walk with Jesus, we grow in that walk, and we'll overcome our spiritual enemies. In fact, it, one other thing, in Revelation we're told that overcomers have a special place in the world to come. That sounds pretty cool, doesn't it? Um, Revelation 3 says that Jesus promised to him who overcomes, I will grant to sit with me on my throne, and I also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. So overcomers, because of the blood of Jesus, they overcome Satan's accusations, and the world, uh, or the, the word of their testimony overcomes Satan's deceptions, and loving, uh, not loving your own life overcomes Satan's uh, uh, the, the, I guess the violence of Satan if we look at Revelation 12 verse 11 so we can overcome the, the junkiness of this world in Jesus and that gives me great hope and that gives me that gives me great peace so now uh, he now goes on to give some more truth concerning the work of the Lord Jesus Christ so John is going to lay it down for us some more facts, some more truth uh, verse 6. This is he who came by water and blood. Jesus Christ, not only by water, but by water and blood. And it is the Spirit who bears witness because the Spirit is truth. 
So this is a hard verse because there's a lot of different opinions on the blood and the water, but I'm going to give you a couple of things that I kind of like. Um, these ex- explanations that are floating around, um, one of them is that he was born of water in the womb, therefore coming of water and in the crucifixion uh, in blood, and I like that explanation, but I think that there's more to it than that, and, and there's some things that apply. Uh, Jesus identified with humanity. Are we humans? I think most of you look like you're human here today. Uh, Some of my family members aren't here, so we're good there. No, I'm kidding. Um, So identifying with humanity, he came by water, and it was his way of saying, I'm one of you. And although he was conceived like no other, he was born like the rest of us. And we also see that idea uh, that which is born of the flesh in John 3, verse 6, that supports that idea. And when Jesus died on the cross, he did not die because he had to, because death had no power over him. But he laid his life down to identify with sinful humanity and and save us from our sin. And he came by blood. It was to stand in our place as a guilty uh, sinner and take punishment for our sin uh, and, and take our place as, as us being guilty sinners, I want to make sure that we get that straight, and take the punishment that our sin deserved. So he, he stood in our place. And John 3, 5 says, Most assuredly I say to you, unless one is born of water in the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. So what else could be born of water mean? Well, baptism. But baptism is not necessary for the believer to go to heaven, amen? Okay, so we got that straight. But the, the thief of the cross points that out pretty clearly, but he was talking about baptism for the believer, because if we go back in that, in that verse where we talk about, um, well, let, let me keep going, because I don't want to get off my notes here. So let's look at Jesus and baptism. Jesus' baptism was different than our baptism, right? Because verse 6 is speaking of Jesus, and that's where I was going with, with my thought there. Verse 6 is speaking of Jesus, so some have thought that born of water means to be born again by the word of God, And in other passages of scriptures, water represents the word as we are washed by the water of the word, like Ephesians 5 says. Some of us thought that born of water means to be regenerated by the Holy Spirit. So if we look at the living water in John 7, and some of us thought that born of water means to receive the water cleansing prophesied in Ezekiel 36, as part of the new covenant. And Nicodemus should have known about this because of he knew Old Testament prophecy. But to contextually, if we look at all these examples I just gave you, Jesus had all of those in baptism. And so the born of the water, is, if we're talking about Jesus himself, these all apply, don't they? But if we're talking about just us, the born of water wouldn't include baptism because baptism isn't necessary for salvation. Us. So do you see where I'm going with that? Okay, good. Because I was pulling my hair out trying to figure out how I was going to explain that and then hope that I get it like somewhat close. I know when I got about up to verse 6, I'm like, oh, why did I pick First John 5? <laughs> you know, why didn't I pick something that was easy, easy to understand and easy to teach? But, you know, it depends upon context is everything. Who are we talking about? Are we talking about the believer? Are we talking about Jesus? Uh, verse 5 There's three things that bear witness in heaven, the Father, the Word, 
and the Holy Spirit, and these three are one. Who's the Word? Anybody remember the first chapter of John? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, the Word was with God. And uh, through him all things were made, and without him nothing was made. And then uh, that's what got me saved, is that, that, that chapter. And when I got to verse 14, and it said, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. We beheld his glory. Man, that blew my mind, because I thought, I know that God promised us a Messiah, and promises is giving your word, right? And it says, and the word became flesh. And then it, another thing that blew my mind was that um, all the word is, is basically like the Bible or the good news or whatever. And the word is, is Jesus. And it just, it all made so much sense to me. So that is the three that bear witness, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Spirit. These three things are one. And there are three that bear witness on earth, the Spirit, the water, and the blood. And these three agree as one. So in Matthew 3, verse 16, when he had, I want to read uh, the account of, of Jesus being baptized, when he had been baptized, Jesus came up immediately from the water, and behold, the heavens were open to him. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting upon him. And suddenly a voice came from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. So God the Father adds his own witness to God the Spirit concerning the person of Christ. We got to see the Spirit, and we got to see God interacting at Jesus' baptism bearing witness of who he was. And who else bared witness of who Jesus was that day? John the Baptist. John the Baptist was highly regarded by the people of the day. It just doesn't get any better than that. So God the Father adds his own witness, and finally there's a witness of the blood. On the cross, the Lord Jesus bore witness concerning himself that he was the Son of God. No one took his life from him, but he laid it down himself, and if he was merely a man... He couldn't have done this. The blood of the Lord Jesus Christ witnesses that the sin question has been settled once and for all to the satisfaction of God. Amen? I mean, that's, that's probably the, one of the greatest things I could say right now. Settled once and for all. And all three of these witnesses agree as one. That is, they're, they're united in the testimony concerning the perfection of the person in the work of Christ. That's First John, you guys. That's sorting out truth from, from fiction and the, the false teachers from the ones that had. John had first-hand knowledge of Jesus himself. And he's setting the record straight. And that's why he's talking about the Father and, and the Word and the Spirit being the real deal. And in, in the beginning of, of the actual book of John, he talks about the deity of Christ, right? And explains to us who he is, his origin in the beginning, you know, and all these things. But here things have gotten off track, so he's setting them straight again. So the books kind of almost flow together in a way. And in everyday life, we accept the word of our fellow man, don't we? If somebody says they're going to do something, most people we could trust, right? Uh, if they say they're going to do something, they're going to do it. And if we didn't, business would be at a standstill. Social life would be impossible. Um, a lot of the guys 
I'm assuming a lot of you have jobs somewhere. And when you have a job and one of your coworkers says they're going to do something, you depend on them to do it, right? And if that person continuously drops the ball, they're not really known very well as a dependable person. And so that's what makes business and that's what makes relationships and all these things go is, is our word and, our, and, and that. Um, so when we accept the word of, of our fellow man, how much more when we accept that and, and, and remember that some of these men that we accept the testimony of are mistaken or they're deceiving. And in everyday life as we do that, how much more should we trust the word of God? The word of God that can't fail, the word of God that can't lie. You know, doesn't it sound completely crazy not to believe God? It, it does to me. His witness is absolutely credible. Verse 10, now he who believes in the Son of God has the witness in himself. He who does not believe in God has made him a liar. Because he has not believed the testimony that God has given to his Son. So people think they can accept or reject God's testimony concerning Christ. Um, I've heard people say that they are buffet Christians. You know what a buffet Christian is? I mean, all of us like to eat all we can eat, right? At least I do. But... A buffet Christian is a person that just takes the stuff that they like. So I'm only eating dessert today, right? That's a buffet Christian. Um, so we, we, we can't just accept or reject the testimony concerning Christ. John would have that person to know that to reject it is to accuse God of being dishonest, which is certainly not the case. We have to take all of it and, and in proper context. Because that's the other thing that the, the buffet Christian will tell me. Well, what about an eye for an eye? Well, I don't know. Uh, were you living back in Jerusalem back in the day? And, you know, things are different. Context is everything. What about love your neighbor? And an eye for an eye doesn't work. But we're under grace, right? We're not under the law. So... Verse 11 says that this is the testimony that God has given us, eternal life, and this life is in his Son. So where do we find eternal life? In Jesus, in the Son of God, amen? Verse 12, he who has the Son has life, and he who does not have the Son does not have life. Friends, eternal life is not found in education, it's not found in philosophy, science, good works, or religion, or even the church. If you want to have life, and this is important, because if you don't think you have it, you need to listen up now. You must have the Son of God. And on the other hand, he who does not have the Son of God does not have life. That is true life. I mean, you might be alive today and breathing and all that, but you don't have true life. For those of you that have a personal relationship with Jesus, you know what true life is, and you've had a taste of it here on earth. Imagine what it's going to be like when someday you get to meet your maker and get to be with him. And I don't like to liken us to dogs, but think about dogs. You come home, and they're all happy to see you, and all they want to do is be with you. And you sit down in your easy chair, and, and where do the dogs go? They all gather around, right, on the floor, or on their pillow or whatever. They just want to be by you. And man, think about what the world would be like if we all loved God like dogs love us. What a great example, you know. Um, 
something I think about a lot. And uh, it's like, Lord, give me a heart like our dogs have, you know. <laughs> so if you see me sniffing around later and scratching my neck, you know, probably I'm, I'm starting to work my way towards that. So verse 13 starts off with in my Bible, that you may know. Because we all want to know, right? Everybody wants to know what's what. And in this world of misinformation and in this world of, um, oh, I don't even know where to begin with that. You can't, you can't hear anything and not know if it's real or not, except for God's word. And then um, family members, I'll say something, they'll say, well, Snopes says that that's not true. And I said, did you ever think that maybe Snopes is like two people that, you know, who knows where they're at and what they got going on, and they're just down there giving their opinion, you know? And uh, where do we go for truth? Oh, well, we're getting it this morning, aren't we? In God's word. And, and that's really what we have to base everything off of. And then after that, we can do some research and stuff like that. But then again, context and, 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 and where the source is, we just don't know where to turn. And to me, that's frustrating. Uh, I used to believe that if I heard something uh, from a, a credible news source that I could probably depend on it. Not anymore. Not even close, you know. Verse 13, uh, and this is, this is, these are some words that I like because I've heard the song. These things I've written to you who believe in the name of God, in the Son of God, that you may know that you, that you have eternal life and that you may continue to believe in the name of the Son of God. So in John 1, he was talking about believing, but here it is, continue to believe. He's reinforcing things. That's been the theme of John 1 all the way through all the chapters. And I, and I love that verse, that you may know. You know, assurance of salvation comes through the word of God. And John wrote these things so that people may know that they have eternal life. Isn't that, isn't that comforting to know that you can have eternal life or that you do? You know, there's no need of hoping or guessing or feeling or checking with Snopes, right? Because Snopes won't know what eternal life is. And it's not presumptuous to say that you're, that you're saved for the believer. I remember that uh, when I was growing up and in the denomination and there was a fellow that I went to school with who was saved. And I thought the dude was nuts, right? <laughs> and all he wanted to do was read his Bible and he was real nice to people and people would bully him and he was still nice to him. And I'm like, what's wrong with this guy? And uh, knowing that, that he had eternal life, I thought, this, this dude really, that almost sounds blasphemous to me, saying that he knows he's going to heaven someday. Because my religious leaders at the time told me, well, son, we may never know. You know, or we may, we'll do the best that we can and hopefully our relatives will pray us out and, and all this this stuff that just doesn't line up with God's word. And, you know, well, no, no wonder I was a rotten kid. You know, I didn't have any hope. And uh, we called this guy Bible Bill. I don't even know where he's at now, but Bible Bill, man, he had it going on. Everybody thought he was nuts. So I thought it was presumptuous to say that, that, that you're, that you're saved if you're a believer. But you know what? After I got to read God's word and I got some truth in me, 
I'll tell people I'm saved all day long. And, and John states in the clearest possible way that those who truly believe in the Lord Jesus may know that they have eternal life. And man, do I love that assurance. Verse 14, now this is the confidence that we have in him that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever, he, whatever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we have asked of him. So that's pretty cool, isn't it? You know, um, it says in 13 again that the confidence that we have in him that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. Does that mean that we could just get whatever we want? No. But it's cool that he hears us, and, and each one of us, God is capable of, of, of hearing each one of us. If we all stopped right now and prayed our own prayer to him, no problem for God to hear all that. And Psalm 139 says that uh, he thinks of us as many as are stars in the sky. Each one of us, that's a lot of thinking. So no problem for him to hear us pray. But it's good to know that God isn't a genie in the bottle and, and have three wishes. And, and some preachers will tell you to name it and claim it, right? You turn on the TV and, and uh, they'll say that all you got to do is have faith and you can have, you know, the new Cadillac or whatever. I don't know. I think that I would probably, if I was shooting for a new car with God, I wouldn't be going for anything expensive. You know, I'd be going for just something dependable, right? Give me that new Toyota Corolla, Lord, you know? <laughs> And Corolla's a nice car. But, um, you know, the, 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 the TV guys, they want you to go for the gold, right? And so I'm thinking about that. What would I recommend? What would I suggest? You know, I would suggest, rather than naming it and claiming it, that we should study the Word of God in order that we might know better what God's will is and how we can pray more intelligently. I think that's, that's the way to go about it. And I don't know about you guys, but I think God richly provides. We may not have what the Joneses have, or we might. But I don't know about you guys, but I, I had lunch yesterday. I didn't eat supper last night, but it's just because. It's not because I couldn't. I could have. Um, but, it, you know, I think everybody here is getting a meal. Hopefully you have a house or a roof over your head. But God provides. And even when those things aren't there, somehow... God seems to provide it, even if it's at the last minute. So praying that we're, that we're in God's will and praying intelligently, I think, is the way to go versus saying that I, I want that new Corolla, right? Verse 16, if anyone sees his brother sinning, a sin that does not lead to death, and here's, here's where I got myself into, what did I just get into, Right? Because these are some hard verses, so um, I'm going to give you my take on it. Your mileage may vary, and hopefully I can get through this okay. But if anyone sees his, his brother sinning a sin which does not lead to death, he will ask, and he will give him life for those who commit sin not leading to death. There is sin leading to death, and I do not say that he should pray about that. I'm like, oh boy, here we go. Well, when we see a brother sin, John tells us the first thing we should do is pray for that person. Amen? I mean, I think that's good. And all too often, prayer is the last thing that we do in regard to our brother having a difficult time. 
But God promised to bless the prayer made on behalf of a brother in sin. And because their prayers that uh, are fulfilled, they're, they're fulfilling the command to love our brothers. So I would say that God would bless those. And no doubt we have uh, love, uh, we love each other best when we pray for each other, right? Um, nothing better than having a brother or sister pray for us. But as far as not praying for the one in sin leading to death, that's the hard part. I'm like, what does that even mean? And you know, I've been, I've been listening to Dwight's teachings for over 20 years, and I, don't, I know he's gone through this somewhere, but I don't remember any of it. And I'm sure it was great. And I, I, so I get my old Bible out, and I'm hoping that maybe I scribbled some notes in it. There's nothing in there. What do I do? But as far as not praying for the one in sin leading to death, maybe that person is so far gone that it becomes an issue between the person and the Lord himself. That was my take on it. Uh, That's a tough passage, and I'm not completely clear, but that's my take. And like I said, your mileage may vary. Let's move on to something a little bit easier. Verse 17. All unrighteousness is sin, and there is sin not leading to death. And we know whoever is born of God does not sin, but he who has been born of God keeps himself, and the wicked ones do not touch him. So here John is speaking of regular, continued lifestyle of sin. You know, John's not teaching here the possibility of sinless perfection on our part. It just it doesn't happen, does it? But verse uh, part two of the verse tells us that we are kept by Jesus and protected from Satan by him. Isn't that good to know that we have a divine protector? And, and uh, a lot of times I pray that the Lord would send extra angels, you know, to watch over me because I do some stupid stuff sometimes. And, uh, you know, I, I get out there and I'm around uh, outlaw bikers. I'm on motorcycles. And it, I think that the traffic on 41 is a lot more dangerous than being around outlaw bikers. <laughs> At least I know what to expect when I'm around those guys. The traffic, you don't know what to expect. But knowing that I have protection. Um, some years ago, must have been at least 10 years ago, a friend of mine smashed his motorcycle up out in Sturgis, and he flipped it end to end. And he's a guy that's, well, you probably have seen him. He's, if you're here for the Prophecy Conference, he's the guy playing the keyboards. And He's in pretty good shape. I think he's like a 10th degree black belt or something. That he'll never tell you about this stuff. But he flipped this motorcycle three times, and the first two flips he stayed with the bike. The third one he fell off, and as the Lord would have it, he landed on really soft, like peat mossy kind of area. And he was hurt but not seriously. No blood, no broken bones, anything. His motorcycle looked like an accordion. And when he got back to our Christian motorcycle camp out in South Dakota, we are out in Sturgis, uh, the joke was, imagine what his guardian angel looks like, you know, after that. Uh, took a, a real beating. But, you know, the Lord had his hand of protection over him. And um, the good, I think, that came from it is that he made a lot of people that he probably wouldn't have talked to, made a lot of friends. I was friends with him before that happened uh, for about eight hours. We were supposed to go to dinner that night. And then the other cool thing that happened is that he went from a Honda to a Harley. So, but, you know, we won't, we won't get into that. But having that protection is, 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 uh, is a good thing. And, 
not that we should tempt the Lord either. You know, we shouldn't go out there and do tricks on our motorcycles just seeing once what our protection level is at. That's tempting the Lord, amen? We don't want to go there. Verse 19 says that we know that we are of God and the world lies under the sway of the wicked one. We're seeing that right now, aren't we? That we are of God, but boy, the, the powers and principalities are having a good time right now. And, but knowing this, we can be free in Jesus and separate ourselves from the world system that's in rebellion against Jesus. We can be separate from that. Verse 20, and we know that the Son of God has come and has given us an understanding that we may know him who is true, that we are in him who is true, in his Son, Jesus Christ. And this is the true God and eternal life. John uses the word know, that, and we know the Son of God. And it, it speaks of knowledge by experience. Um, we can know who somebody is, but do we really know them? Have we experienced them? Have we been around them? That was the case with John. And that's how, that's how Jesus wants to know us, or that's how he wants us to know him is through knowledge and experience. How do we get that knowledge? How do we get that experience? Well, by reading his word. And I don't know about you guys, but a lot of times I'll read something that I've read a hundred times, and all of a sudden I'll come across something that speaks to me that day. And it blows my mind, and it feels like God himself talking to me through his word. And if you haven't heard God in a long time or ever, read more. Read more of his word. And you'll start to point, you'll, you'll notice things. And you'll think, this, there's no way this could be anything but God. And it, it's a thrill when that happens. When we talk about, in verse 20, about given an understanding, the work of Jesus gives us an understanding. And, and the ability to know him and to be in him, the abiding life of fellowship uh, John invites us back in is in First uh, John 1, 3. This understanding must be given. We, we can't get it on our own. If God didn't reveal himself to us, we would never find him. But we know him and we can know him because he's first revealed himself to us. And God has revealed himself to us by, by him who is true in his son Jesus. And Jesus is the key and the focus of it all. And we see the personality and the character of God by looking at Jesus. You know, I'm teaching in John right now at the Biker Church, and all through John keeps on talking about that, that everything that Jesus does, he does in perfect unity with the Father. And John is just establishing all through that, the book of John, the oneness of, of Jesus with the Father. And that's something that, you know, as a f- person in a former denomination, didn't always have that, and that really solidifies who Jesus is to me. And as far as being him who is true, it reminds us of a theme that John has through the letter, the importance of true belief and trusting in the true Jesus. Not a made-up Jesus. Remember, we had false teachers in those days. And they were, they were you know, teaching the buffet Jesus, right? The whatever they wanted Jesus to be. And when, when we teach things about who Jesus is that are made up or not true, 
it's it's totally false, right? It's 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 um I'm trying to think of the the word I want to use here, but it's um it's idolatry. And I don't want to jump too far ahead, but as I remember the last the last verse in this chapter, um, it says, "Keep yourselves, little children, keep yourselves from idols." So when you have a false interpretation of who Jesus is, that's idolatry, right? That was the word I was looking for. So now I just rolled through my notes here, and I got to find where I left off. I used to print everything on paper, and I'd come up with like twenty-two pages, and then a lot of times I. I'm outdoors or doing some kind of an event, right? Not a really climate-controlled, nice place like this. And the wind would come through, and there'd be 22 papers. And then, of course, I'd forget to put page numbers on them. And uh, then I'd have to rely on my brain, which doesn't work anymore, um, <laughs> to, to get through the study in the Bible. And, oh, boy. So I do it on the iPad, and I don't have page numbers on this one either. It doesn't always make it easy because I'm scrolling and I'm trying to remember where I left off. Um, so hang in there for a second. So we were talking about God revealing himself to us and, and Jesus being the, the key and the focus and that we see the personality and the character of God by looking at Jesus. And I like that. Um, you know, when Jesus came and walked on the earth, it was the first time that we ever got to touch God. How cool is that? And I don't know if any of you have been to Israel or not, but I was blessed to go twice. Wow, you know. I got to walk where the Lord walked. I got to touch the water of the Sea of Galilee. I got to go in the, um, in the Jordan River and just uh, nothing but smiles. The, the whole, I think, 10 days we were there. And, and why was I so happy? I don't know, it wasn't, it wasn't like a vacation where you're sitting around taking it easy. You're going all the time. But I think I was so happy because I was where Jesus was. And I was so happy because uh, the Bible was coming alive in front of my eyes as we were reading and doing studies in the various uh, areas that we would have a, a reading or a study at. And it it made the Bible so much more personal and and that experience that I had, it was, it was uh, just, it was amazing. When we talk about him being true, and John talking about, uh, about who Jesus is in, in not only First John, but in the, chap, in the book of John, um, one of the key things is the importance of true belief. And trusting in the true Jesus, not the made-up Jesus that the false teachers were teaching at the time. Um, the Jesus of the Bible uh, is him who is true, who is his son, Jesus Christ. So I think that that oneness that John keeps on pointing out, um, the people of the day weren't maybe getting that. They were thinking that Jesus was something else other than one with the Father. And this is the true God and eternal life. John tells us who Jesus is. He was a man, as John declared in 1 John 1 and 1 John 4, 1 John 5, 6. But he was not only a man, he was totally man 
and the true God and his eternal life. And John does not, and, and we cannot, promote the humanity of Jesus over his deity. Amen? Or his deity over his humanity. He is both. He's fully God and fully man. And, and that, that blows my mind. And the people of that day needed to know that. When we talk about the birth by water, yeah, who was born just like the rest of us. The conception was totally different. When he was baptized, he was baptized unlike any other person has been baptized before. In verse 21, little children keep yourselves from idols. And I thought, wow, what a strange way to, to end a letter. But then I start thinking a little bit about it. It fits in with the theme of, of a real living relationship with God, especially in, in the light of the day with all the false information about Jesus going on. Keep yourself from idols. Keep yourself from idolatry, from the falseness of the stories of the people teaching about Jesus that didn't know him. John knew him. Some of these other guys were self-appointed, you know, like going online and getting your... your uh, your pastoral doctor's degree, right? Uh, that's what these guys were basically doing and um, without knowledge of who Jesus really was. And then they're teaching this. And the enemy to fellowship with God is idolatry. Think about all the times when people got in trouble, especially in the Old Testament, idolatry, embracing a false god, uh, a false idea of the true God. And John closes with this warning in 1 John 5 after he spends much of the book warning us of the dangers of the false Jesus that many were teaching in the day. Um, we can only have real relationship with the God who is really there. And idolatry, whether obvious, you know, uh, praying to a statue or, or not obvious, you know, living for your... And this is a... You know, idolatry can come in many ways, right? It can be... Uh, worshiping a statue, or it could be living for your career, living for your stuff, living for somebody other than God. It'll always keep you from a real relationship with God. You know, and no wonder John ends with keep yourself from idols. And this is how we protect our relationship with God. Keeping ourselves from idols is protecting our relationship with God. So let me start to wrap this up. I've noticed that Dwight's been inserting a few jokes here and there. And uh, there's a few groaners, right? And when he talked to me the other day on the phone, he said that he was going to be sitting in the front row. And I thought, oh, boy. Oh, there he is. And I thought, great. Here's a guy that I've been sitting under and listening to him teach for over 20 years, a guy that I admire and uh, a mentor in my faith. And he's probably going to be taking notes. And I'm going to probably have a big assignment when I leave here today about studying a little harder in First John 5. But with the jokes. Uh, so I was writing my message and I thought I might give one a try. And if it's a groaner, at least I'm in good company. So who is the greatest comedian in the Bible? Well, Samson, of course, he brought the house down. Yeah, I know, I know, I'll, I'll keep my day job. That's why they call ministry a calling, right? But let's get back to the study, otherwise the worship team might 
get out a shepherd's hook and pull me away from the pulpit and banish me to the parking lot in shame. All right. Uh, The Apostle John knew Jesus well. And that's really a a good take from this, from John and John 5, uh, uh, 1 John, all the chapters, that John knew Jesus well. And he's telling us that we could have a close, intimate relationship with Jesus Christ. Some people don't know that we could have that. I mean, I think I'm preaching to the choir here today. And speaking of the choir, they sounded excellent. I didn't realize it was three people, that three people could make that much beautiful music. Wow, we are so blessed here. So we can have that intimate relationship with Jesus, and we have the witness of the men who had direct personal contact with, with Jesus. And the gospel writers present their solid testimony, not just a regular testimony, but a solid testimony backed by historical reality. So how does that apply to our lives? Well, we see that Jesus came here as the Son of God to create a relationship with us based on his grace and his mercy and his love and so many times people think that Jesus is off in some faraway place. That he doesn't really bother himself with our daily struggles or our issues or our concerns. But John is telling us that Jesus is right here with us in both simple and, and everyday parts of our lives and in the complex and difficult parts of our lives. And John personally witnesses and testifies his personal experiences that God became flesh and lived among men. Thank God that he did, because that's what got my attention. It's the book of John, the opening of it. John begins his gospel account of John 1.1 with the deity of Jesus. John 1.1 says, in the beginning was the word. The word was with God, and the word was God. John begins his epistle in 1 John with the humanity of Christ. So we go from the, the, the deity, proving, first of all, he gave us proof. Now he gives us a further proof and a little bit something else for us to, to learn. The humanity of Christ, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and our hands have handled concerning the word of life. First John 1 chapter 2 says, The life was manifested, and we have seen and bear witness and declare to you that eternal life, which was with the Father and was manifested to us, That which you have seen and heard, we declare to you that you also may have fellowship with us, and truly our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And then John ends his gospel in the book of John with these words, which Paul read for us this morning. But these things are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. Then John ends his epistle in 1 John, that's where our study was today, with these words in 1 John 5.13, These things I have written to you, who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life, and here's the, the important part, and that you may continue to believe in the name of the Son of God. So first of all, he gives it to us in John that we may believe, in 1 John that we may continue to believe. So what he's done is he's reinforced who Jesus is and and he's exposed the false teachings of the day. John tells us that the deity of Jesus, or he tells us of the deity of Jesus in the book of John. And in 1 John, he's standing on the word due to the false teachers and teachings. He sets a record straight with firsthand witnesses. 
And he also shows us how we can know if we are true followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. So that brings us to a question this morning. And I'm going to close with this. And, uh, and after I talk about this for a second, we'll, we'll pray. My brother Gorilla, my, my, my biker brother Gorilla, went to meet the Lord on Friday. I'm not sure where he was at with the Lord. Um, he was a nice guy, and, and a lot of people liked him. But being a nice guy and being well-liked doesn't always, I shouldn't say doesn't always, doesn't get you into heaven, does it? We learned today that we must have the Son. We must love him. And, and if you're not sure about yourself today, today is the day. Uh, tomorrow might not come. Your heart might be in a place today to, to hear something about how to know who Jesus is, where tomorrow it may not. And in Bikers for Christ, we like to talk about the three R's. There's actually four of them, but three of them are the easy ones. Remember, one that you, you would recognize that you're a sinner, that you would repent of your sins. Repent is a fancy word for just slamming the brakes on and turn around and burning rubber in the other direction. Bikers understand that. And then you would receive Christ as your Savior. But there's another R in there that's important to know in the recognizing that Jesus died on the cross for you. And he chose to take on the sin of the world. That's called propitiation. He died for everybody. But we need to be reconciled to him. That means to receive him. That's the important part. So that would be something that would be good to think about today. Do I recognize that I'm a sinner? And you might say, well, I've never killed anybody. Well, I never did either. But I've hated people. I've lusted. I've done, you know, if there's an all of the above category, I probably fall in there. Um, there's other people that I know that, so I, I recognize that I have a need for a Savior. There's other people that I know that are some of the nicest people in the world that don't recognize that need. And when you tell them that, well, you know what, you're not a bad guy in the world's eyes, but you fall short of the glory of God. How about that? Well, I don't believe in God. Where do you go with that? But you know that you need to plant that seed. And you know that when that person does hit rock bottom, you know who they're going to come to. They're going to come to people that believe in Jesus besides all the things that are going on in their life. Maybe they don't have an easy life. Maybe they don't, um, they're not that perceived perfect human being by the world, right? That doesn't, that thinks that they don't have the need. Everybody does. I don't know one person that doesn't fall short of the glory of God. The Bible says the, the most righteous person falls seven times a day. I like to refer to the 70 times seven part here. That's probably, that's forgiveness, but I probably fall 70 times seven. I don't know. I, I try not to keep track of it. And when I, when I pray and, and I ask the Lord for forgiveness, there's not like just one or two things on my plate. I just say, Lord, think, all the things I can't think of right now that I just, that have happened or whatever, please forgive me, you know. We repent, we, we turn from that. You know, we don't want to be in habitual sin. So, and then after we recognize that we're a sinner, we need to know that Jesus died for us. Like I said a few minutes ago, propitiation, a fancy word that he died for everybody. But because he died for everybody, 
and took away everybody's sin doesn't mean that we all are saved. We have that reconciliation. But we come to him in repentance. Why do we repent? We repent because we're so thankful for what God has done for us. Some of us have been in you know, the miry pits of hell and, and God has pulled us out of that, that place. There's some bikers that I know that have done unspeakable things. And these guys are secure in their faith because they've accepted Christ. And if you might have known these guys 20 years ago, 30 years ago, or even 10 years ago, they might rather punch you in the face than talk to you. Um, You don't ever want to say something like, I wonder what it would feel like to get shot, because guess what? They'll shoot you right there, and you'll find out. But when these guys come to Christ, these guys are so loving Jesus for what he's delivered them from. It's, it's incredible. So the three R's, recognize, and we need to know that Jesus died for us. So repent of your sins, receive Christ as your Savior. And if that's you today, I pray that you would take this under uh, deep consideration and, and ask the Lord to reveal himself to you, to knock on your heart's door, open that door and let him in. You know, you're not perfect the day that you accept Christ. You're not, a, you're not perfect the day you die either in Christ, other than that you have his righteousness. But we, have, uh, we all have our different parts that we're growing in the Lord. And when you do the best that you can and you, and you accept Christ, he'll clean you up. Um, I think I stopped swearing uh, in like three days after I accepted Christ. And it was something that if somebody said, I'll bet you a million dollars that you'll never be able to stop swearing, I would say, <laughs> I'm going to lose that bet. And then I accept Christ, and all of a sudden, about three days later, there's not you know, all the stuff coming out of my mouth that I used to. And I was like, wow, this is real. This is beyond expectations, you know. Because <laughs> I thought, how am I going to be a Christian? Because I'm you know, a motorcycle guy and... You know how it is, you get around toolboxes and wheels and stuff like that, and pretty soon your mouth starts talking stupid. And it wasn't happening anymore. And then pretty soon my friends would come over that are still in the world, and they would be correcting themselves of their swearing swear words because they didn't want to offend me. And I'm like, well, no, man, I, I understand that, but if you want to get rid of that, let's talk. You know, God will clean you up. And he doesn't care if you got a needle in your arm or, or where you're at. He'll still take you. He's got his hand out and saying... I love you. Come to me. It's all I want to do. And like the prodigal son, you know, the father was watching for his son. And, and when the son came, he didn't just let the son walk up to him. The father ran out to him with open arms. That's our God. Whether you've known him or not, he's got those open arms and he's running towards you. Just wants to have that relationship. So with that, let's, uh, let's go ahead and pray. Let's bow our heads. Heavenly Father, uh, thank you for this time today. Thank you for these brothers and sisters. And I pray that each person would go home with what you'd have for them from your word. And Lord, I pray that there would be faith strengthened today, uh, new faith as you would see fit. And uh, Lord, that you would just go before us and bless and protect us. Watch over this place, Lord. And uh, until we meet again, in the name of Jesus, amen.